Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of How Are You Adapting? It's going to be an extended one, and it kind of has to be because there's just so much great information in here. I'll be chatting with Barry Houston, the Executive Director of the National Ballet of Canada, to understand kind of what it takes for a larger organization to pivot during this time, from creating brand new content for social media to the hurdles of rebroadcasting legacy ones. If you're enjoying the series and find value in it, consider subscribing to us on Twitter and Facebook. That's where we announce when new episodes are available. We're also constantly adding brand new resources and webinars to our blog. And if you want to find out when tickets are available to those webinars, sign up to our mailing list. That's where we put out the information as soon as it is available. I'm Barry Houston. I'm the executive director of the National Ballet of Canada. I joined the company in uh, 2014 as executive director and co-CEO. So we have a we have a, a joint leadership uh, structure. So Karen Kane is the artistic director and co-CEO and I serve as executive director and co-CEO, and we really are true business partners. Uh, we both in, uh, independently report to the board, uh, and then we have staff teams that, that are our direct reports. Um, and and uh, it's been a fantastic, uh, fantastic first six and a half years. Speaking of Karen Kane, you're in the midst of her 50th anniversary season, and all indications seem to look like theaters probably wouldn't be up and running until about spring of next year at full capacity, and if even that. So what are you doing to keep the, the National Ballet running and relevant to your audience at this time? One of the challenges of this COVID crisis is the unknown, uh, because we don't know um, if we'll be back even in the spring. Um, we could be back... Uh, in November, December, we could be back in March, April, May, and we might, none of us might be back on the stage until the following fall. And I think one of the challenges for performing arts organizations is that we not only have to contemplate social distancing for an audience, which while, you know, the implications economically are pretty devastating, you could logistically imagine how you could socially distance an audience. Um, what's much harder is how do you socially distance uh, artists? on stage and in the orchestra pit. Um, and until you can protect both the audience and the artists in a social distancing environment, it's very hard to imagine how we move forward. Um, and so that's really, that's the information that we're um, still grappling with in collaboration with um, health officials is how to safely bring artists back into a training and rehearsal environment. Um, because that's really in, in many ways, um, we, we need to get our head around that before we can imagine putting an audience uh, in front of them. Um, so I would say that's um, that's been a, that's been a key uh, challenge is this 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 sense of the unknown. Um, and what we've tried to do, I think, at the National Ballet of Canada, what we really tried to do was first of all um, set out some values um, that were going to lead us through decision making through the crisis, um, and those values and include things like putting our people first, that really um, we have our, the talent at the National Ballet of Canada has been a long-term investment and that we wanna do everything we can uh, to protect that talent and to make sure that, that that talent is available and ready to go the moment that we can uh, get back on stage again. Uh, and so protecting our people was sort of the number one core value. Um, secondly, we, we agreed that we would protect uh, our people in a measured way to ensure that the institution can emerge from the crisis so that their jobs are available when it's done. So in other words, 
um, not overpromise at the front end of the crisis, but to try to do it in a measured way that allows the organization to um, manage through what is likely to be many, many months um, of, of crisis and challenge. Uh, the third uh, value was that we would communicate transparently, that we would that we would make sure that our stakeholders, both internal and external, had good information and had consistent information um, and had regular touch points uh, with senior management and leadership at the National Ballet around how we're moving through the crisis. And I think the, the final key value that was important to all of us was that we would document every aspect of this crisis at the National Ballet. So one of the challenges as we went into this, the first thing I asked was, you know, where is the documentation of the SARS crisis? Um, and there was no documentation. There was never, there was a lot of good work done, I'm sure, uh, at the National Ballet as they navigated that crisis, but it was never documented. And so um, we are working to make sure that we have essentially a playbook um, that comes out of this crisis that details every decision point, every communication tool, everything that we did every step of the way to from the, the day we had to shut our doors until the day we are back in business. And so um, uh, those were sort of the core values. And then we really, um, uh, then we really focused on what do we need to do to de-risk because this is not gonna be a one season. You know, when, this, when the conversation around canceling performances started, um, you know, it was very early days in, in the COVID crisis. And there was this sort of assumption that we're talking about canceling shows March, April, May, June, but of course we'll be back in November. Um, I think in the beginning of the conversation, we were still thinking we might be able to be back on stage in June. And so um, it's, it's been a bit of a, like riding a, a wave, um, making decisions with the best information at hand. But the reality now is that we know that this is going to affect the 2021 season, and it will actually likely affect the 21-22 season for, in a variety of different ways. And so we immediately went to work to de-risk the 2021 season. So we basically, um, we basically postponed any projects or tours that required significant philanthropy to future years um, so that our philanthropic team could really be focused on recovery. Um, we also, uh, uh, in, in uh, anticipation that perhaps there would continue to be restrictions on uh, international travel, that we um, programmed things that we could produce and prepare in Toronto, ballets that were in our warehouse that we didn't have to bring stagers or um, materials from outside the country uh, to Canada to make happen. And so we did that rather quickly and then we got out a new, we had already announced our subscription series and we're already so selling subscriptions. So we had to announce a new frame season, which we did. Um, and now we're really working on contingency planning because we don't know what the what when this is over. Uh, and so we've started with a very worst case, which is that we lose a whole season and what does that mean and how do we survive that? And then we're slowly layering in uh, the many plans that, that are from there to uh, getting back to normal. Um, and honestly, I, I see this, I'm trying to take this in two month periods at the moment because Looking much farther beyond that um, is um, uh, the information is changing so quickly that it's difficult to uh, to make dis firm decisions beyond two months. But I think in the contingency world, we're we're looking at you know sort of pretty um, uh, 
sobering uh, plans uh, to keep, to retain talent, to make sure that the National Ballet, if it is as much as a year away, how do we retain talent? How do we protect um, the resources that we need to bring back a world-class ballet company um, to our audiences as soon as, as is possible? Um, and it is a moving target, there's no question. I love how your first priority was taking care of your team and your talent. Tell me a little bit about the digital initiatives you have going on on social media to keep all of them engaged. We've actually had an amazing uh, response on social media to some of our virtual engagement. I think we have over the last few years, we really have pivoted to, um, to a, a digital and virtual um, communication with our stakeholders, with our patrons and audiences and subscribers, um, and certainly not uh, full programming, but uh, ways to keep connected to the community. And so what we've what we've done uh, at, during this time of COVID is really amplify that work and expand on that work a bit. I think that one of the gaps we discovered uh, very early on is that we don't have a lot of broadcast quality content um, available to put out. Um, the only broadcast quality content we have is filmed specifically for promotional purposes. So it's the camera work is not intended to be um, the, the full ballet. It's intended to be able to take a section, to take different sections for short promotional videos. Um, and so what we don't have is long form content. We don't, the only long form content that we have is from 35, 40 years ago. Um, and so we are already beginning to think about how we're gonna change that going forward so that if we are ever in a position where, um, where we have to shut down uh, part or all of a season that we could potentially host some kind of um, a meaningful digital season uh, for subscribers and ticket holders. That's just not possible right now based on the content we have. So what we're doing really is creating unique uh, content. It's a wonderful way to keep the dancers engaged. They're obviously at home trying to train in their kitchens and living rooms and attics and basements um, and, and really wanting to contribute uh, uh, in this moment. And, um, and so they've been really, uh, musicians and dancers have both been engaged in social media activities for the ballet that include everything from uh, public classes where uh, they're offering sort of uh, beginner level classes for people to tune into on Instagram. Um, uh, uh, we, we're doing children's classes through our in-studio program. We're offering some uh, adult classes through the in-studio program as well. Um, we're pushing out a series called Ballet Moments, which is, um, which is taking advantage of the fact that we have, we have short clips of broadcast quality footage. And so we're basically pushing out that footage sort of on a regular cadence so that people can be reminded of um, the, the scope and scale of what the National Ballet of Canada does when it's performing uh, fully uh, at the Four Seasons Center and around the world. And so we've been uh, sending those out sort of on a weekly uh, basis. And they're just so a lovely um, reminder of the, the brilliant artists that we have here uh, have here in Toronto at the National Ballet. Um, and really, um, you know, in terms of innovation, we're really looking ahead now to the possibility that we could have a socially distanced audience or we could have reduced audience numbers, even if social distancing is lifted. It's likely that until we have a vaccine, there will be some populations who will not feel safe uh, coming to, to big performing arts centers. And so what we're thinking about doing is having, um, having an opportunity to either live stream or provide a link to 
a performance for ticket holders who are in at-risk in at groups. And so we're collaborating uh, with the Canadian Opera Company to understand what kind of infrastructure would be required at the Four Seasons Centre to allow us to do that. So this would not be, um, this would not be sort of the live at Lincoln Centre model per, per se, but it really would be specifically for our ticket holders who, who don't feel safe coming to the theater to have access, uh, have access to the performances that they hold tickets for. Uh, and so it's early days with that conversation and there's quite a bit of expense involved. Um, and we're, we will have to go to our union partners and, and work through agreements and try to find a way to make it uh, economically viable. Uh, but we think it's gonna be really important because we do think that there will be a period of time, no matter how this unfolds, where um, where at-risk groups um, are going to are be reluctant to return to, to large-scale venues. And we need to find some way to deliver what we do um, to, those, to those audiences for, you know, call it the next six, 12, 18, 24 months. It's amazing that you were able to pivot so quickly and create these bite-sized pieces of content based on your archive and keeping the dancers engaged. Tell me, what were some concerns and anxieties about these digital offerings? So for the National Ballet of Canada, there's a, there's a very cumbersome uh, uh, approval process for any digital content. Dancers have to approve, the musicians have to approve. Um, uh, we have union partners that we have to negotiate uh, uh, for, different, for different projects. Um, and so it's not, it doesn't lend itself to being able to be nimble. Um, and in this environment, we, have, we had to suddenly become very nimble. We had to be able to push through um, an approval process that is not uh, what the organization is used to. Um, and I'm very proud of our team and of our, of our artists who, have, who are, are recognizing that this is a unique moment in our history and that we have to, we have to behave differently. We have to, we have to be able to move um, more nimbly. And so, um, so that's been, that's been great. I think there's, uh, there is some anxiety. You know, we, we did a beautiful uh, new work by Crystal Pite in our March season. Um, and I'm so glad it, it ended up getting to the stage. I would have been devastated if it, it hadn't made it this season um, called Angel's Atlas. And I remember sitting in the theater on opening night and being really deeply emotionally moved by the, by the piece. It's an abstract work, but for me, it really, um, it's about humanity. It's about the need, how we all need each other to get through this life, the journey. And, and uh, it involves a lot of intricate group work where the dancers are constantly in physical contact with, with one another. Um, and as one falls, someone's there to catch them and, and move them onto the next part of their journey. And I, I remember thinking to myself, you know, this is such a powerful uh, statement around uh, humanity in a time of divisiveness. This is pre-COVID, you know, that, that, you know, we're in this time of political divisiveness and, and um, the piece really for me spoke to that. And then COVID happened and, and I realized that, the, that this piece is really uh, a statement piece about COVID, about what has happened to us um, as we respond to this crisis and how, you know, what isolation is doing to us um, and I'm, I'm actually really excited to have that piece be sort of a, a cornerstone to our return to the stage, because I think it, it is as moved as I was that night. I think the audience will be even more deeply moved coming out of the COVID experience. Um, and and I, I bring that up only because we wanted to 
be able to broadcast. Uh, a, we had a broadcast quality single camera um, take of the ballet, but because it's an ensemble work, the camera does, didn't really move. So it, it, we had the full ballet and we could have put it out on social media. Um, and uh, Crystal actually didn't want it to go out that way. She wanted, she felt strongly that the, as, a, as the creator, that um, she was in favor of it being filmed at some point, uh, but that the film needed to be directed and it needed to be more than one point of view. And, and so we ended up not being able to put that out. And I think there's been a number of cases where, where creators have actually uh, hesitated um, to put out content without it being put out in the best um, possible light, despite the unique moment. So, so while, while a lot of artists have been super cooperative, I think there is a understandable desire to protect the artistic integrity of the work. And so it's a bit of a balance of all of that. Um, I also think that in the early stages of the crisis, um, there was this franticness to digital engagement, um, not just at the National Ballet, but all around the world, where people were just like as fast as they could, just cranking out content. And at one point I had to say to my team, um, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Um, and we need to, first of all, we need to make sure that we maintain the quality of what we put out into the world um, and make sure that it reflects the core artistic values of the institution, and also that we pace what we put out because we're gonna be doing this for a while. Uh, and that's, and I think in the early stages of this, there was just this frantic need to just get things out there. And I think everyone is pulling back a little bit now and being more thoughtful about uh, um, the fact that this is gonna be a long haul. You bring up some great points that I didn't even think about, and you're absolutely right. When it comes to rebroadcasting, we have to think about a whole bunch of things, uh, pre-existing contracts and agreements to unions to copyright issues. How do you find the landscape for rebroadcasting in Canada, and how would you compare that to the U.S. and even Europe? It's always complicated. Um, I, you know, I believe in an artist's right to protect their work and, and to earn a living from that work, um, and that's why I do what I do. Um, I would say, I, I would say the challenges from the National Ballet's perspective has been that it is so, because of the existing uh, agreements that exist with the, our union partners, um, it's just very expensive to capture and uh, distribute content. Um, and I think that largely comes from an old way of thinking, a pre-digital era sort of way of thinking about this content. Um, and I think that that, certainly COVID is, is, um, is helping to crack open some of those conversations and have a more authentic conversation about the future of digital. But um, you know, to give you an example, we, we did a live uh, simulcast of the Nutcracker many years ago to Cineplex, to movie theaters around the country. And it cost over a million dollars to capture and it earned about $60,000 in, in revenue from people buying tickets to go to movie theaters to watch it. So the, the, the benefit, the, the cost benefit sort of analysis is, has always been challenging. Uh, the companies that have been able to do it, like, like the Metropolitan Opera um, uh, has a very successful uh, program where they send out their operas literally around the world to 
small performing arts centers in small communities. Um, uh, the Royal Opera House has a similar program uh, for both the ballet and the opera. Um, and the way that those organizations have approached it is they, they're, first of all, they're massive organizations. They're much larger than the National Ballet. So their, their resources are, are not, you know, there's no comparison of scale uh, to the National Ballet. But they, their approach is we, they just buy everyone out at the front of the season and they buy out the ability to, to capture as much content as they want to, con they, they want to capture. Um, and the artists get an annual payout, which is sizable. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge investment. Um, in our structure, that we can't make any sense of that from an economic perspective. So, um, so I'd say, uh, it, I think it's, you know, we are the National Ballet of Canada, but we don't tour extensively nationally anymore because again, there's not, there's not the venues that can support the kind of work we do outside of the major urban centers. Um, but back in the day, you know, 45 years ago, we did bus and truck tours to uh, almost every province in the country uh, early in our history with, you know, sort of small scale ballets. That model from a financial standpoint is really challenging. So I've been really challenging my technology staff and my promotion staff to really think about how can we leverage digital platforms to truly be the national ballet of Canada and to get what we do to every corner of this country. And, um, and that's, I'm, we are still on that mission to figure out a way, um, you know, we, we want everyone that can, can uh, reach us when we're live in Toronto or in Ottawa or in Vancouver or in Montreal when we do tour to those cities. We certainly want them to come and experience the National Ballet live and in person. Um, but we also want uh, people in other parts of the country um, to have access who don't geographically have access to us. And so that remains, uh, um, that remains a, a, a goal that we've set for ourselves over the next few years to, to figure that out. And quite frankly, I think the COVID experience is going to accelerate that thinking uh, because we're already thinking about how do we get, how do we get content to um, ticket holders who are in at-risk groups in the GTA. Um, but once we figure that out, it'll be that much easier to scale up um, to, to contemplate audiences who can't access us because of geography. So there's, there's a lot of exciting uh, possibilities on the digital front. But I also want to say that, that there is no monetization of digital content that can sustain the National Ballet of Canada financially. Um, we need live performance. We need to be in a theater. Um, and that any digital strategy would be um, an enhancement uh, to sort of our core product, which is in theaters in front of audiences. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it leads me straight to my next question. How important is experimentation right now in platform and content for when you're ready to broadcast? I think experimentation is all, always important when you're, when you're um, exploring uh, brave new worlds. You have, to, you have to create an environment where, where you can fail fast, learn from uh, the experience, and then apply it to the next experiment. Uh, we've been involved in a program called Staging Change uh, with EMC Arts and the Metcalf Foundation, which is really focused on this, this concept of adaptability, um, and particularly in the large institutional context where institutions tend to um, 
uh, tend to pivot very slowly. Change comes much more in a much more challenging way um, to big institutions. And I think the principles of the staging change program are how do you create systems within the big system that allow for experimentation and, and failure? Um, I think the performing arts in North America has um, you know very low tolerance for failure because the the, the margins are so challenging. Um, there's no there's no uh, room for um, uh, uh, taking investment and plunging it into um, experimentation that that might fail. And I think we have to change that paradigm. We have to actually create environment you know structures within the larger structure that still protects the institution and the financial health of the institution, but also gives the space for that kind of experimentation, whether it be digital or, or, or otherwise. Um, uh, so I think there's, I think there's huge opportunities. And again, um, you never want to waste a crisis. <laughs> and I do think the, some of the positive outcomes of COVID are going to be that we have learned to be more nimble, that we have learned to be more adaptable, that our you know, our, we are going to be testing and failing all through the COVID crisis in lots of different ways and learning. And I think that um, post COVID, my hope is that that appetite for adaptability and innovation and experimentation will, will become more of a core value. You know, it's interesting in arts organizations, innovation and, and, and um, experimentation are core to the art form. Like the, the art form is always challenging itself to 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 um, evolve and think differently. And uh, you know, when you think of dance today, um, and when you think of a ballet company's repertoire today, um, yet yes, the core anchor works are still there, and they still attract a large audience. Sleeping Beauty, Swan Lake, you know, those sort of those those big story ballets that 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 are part of an important part of the history of our art form. But then you have Wayne McGregor and Crystal Pite and um, these incredible contemporary artists who are seeing the world differently and are pushing dance uh, into, into new possibilities. And audiences are responding. I think, you know, 15 years ago, the National Ballet of Canada's core audience um, struggled with contemporary dance and today they embrace it. And, uh, um, and that's really exciting. And, and we want that kind of spirit of innovation and forward thinking um, to apply to all parts of our business model. Um, and that's, that's really uh, where, I've, where I've been trying to lead the organization over the last six years, and certainly out of COVID where I hope we're gonna be able to accelerate. Now this question might be for future Barry, but how do you, how do you measure success during this time? How do you know you did it well? Well, you know, I think about that every day, every day of the crisis, I'm thinking about, um, uh, you know, how, how to measure our success, how to think about what success looks like. Clearly our success looks for me is that the National Ballet of Canada comes out of this um, as a world, the world-class ballet company that it went into the crisis as. Um, and it's gonna be a very difficult uh, road um, and there's gonna be a lot of pain along the way, quite frankly. Um, if we can't bring audiences together uh, over the next you know, six months to a year, um, the implications of that are severe. Um, but I also have great hope. I have great optimism and faith in our donor community that they're going to rise to the occasion and they're going to help us to protect the, that, that talent that we need uh, to be able to continue. 
Um, uh, I'm, I'm grateful to the government of Canada for the initiatives they've already rolled out to, to help Canadian citizens and Canadian artists during this time. And um, uh, I'm, I'm proud, of, proud of that and grateful for that because it's made it possible for us to, uh, in the early stages of this crisis, to find, um, find our way through the last few weeks and months. Um, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm hopeful and again, success for me is going to be, the big success is going to be that we go into the 21-22 season looking like the National Ballet of Canada that gave its last performance on March 13th. But I also think there's going to be incremental, there's going to have to be for us to um, sort of emotionally and intellectually survive this crisis. There's going to have to be success points along the way. There's going to have to be we're going to have we're going to have lots of small successes as we go. Last week, I was able to announce to our staff and dancers and musicians that they would be paid fully through the end of June. This was a huge uh, announcement for this group of people. This is not the case for many artists in Canada and in North America, and it was our first important victory in this fight was to be able to keep them whole through the end of the season that, that uh, they lost. Um, and we're gonna, I'm gonna be looking for those successes. I'm gonna be looking for those small victories that are gonna give us the wind in our sails to ta tackle the next part of this challenge. And we're gonna, we're gonna get at it and we're gonna keep at it. And, um, and ultimately uh, we're gonna get through it. What advice would you give to other arts leaders and organizations currently looking to adapt and stay relevant during this time? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's really important to balance pragmatism with hope. I think that um, there are going to be very hard, painful decisions to make all all through this. That's going to impact people, um, and um, and I think you, we have to balance um, staying hopeful, which is incredibly important. We can't get through this if we don't stay hopeful, with making the hard decisions that have to be made. Um, and keeping humanity as a core to all those decisions, sort of the humanity of these organizations and institutions that it's, this is not a financial exercise. Um, and so I, you know, it's easy, it's easy to default to the financial exercise, but I think we have to, as leaders continually remind our, our finance people and our boards and our stakeholders um, uh, about the, the human, uh, reality of the decisions we have to make uh, and um, and to project hope you know we we are the National Ballet of Canada will emerge from this crisis 100% convinced of that uh, and I think um, we have to project that hope because we have to people have to believe I mean we're to give you an example we're we're selling subscriptions to next season we're only 18% behind where we would normally be at this time of year that's extraordinarily hopeful on the part of our subscribers that they're in this moment, they're watching the news at night and they're still going to their computers and their phones and they're renewing their subscription next year. And part of it may be a, their way of supporting us during this difficult time. But part of it is also they want to be back in the theater. They're hopeful that they're going to be able to be together enjoying something that they love. And, um, and, there's real power in that, and there's fuel in that, um, and it's it's important. Uh, and so, so again, I think it's that balance—the balance between uh, pragmatism and hope.
And finally, where can we find out what you're doing? How can the general public support you during this time? Yeah, I mean, we're on all social media, pretty much all the major social media platforms, but you can learn everything you need to learn about the National Ballet of Canada at our website, which is national.ballet.ca. Um, and that will link you to all of our virtual content. It'll link you to next season and, and our plans. It'll also be an important place to receive COVID-related announcements from the company uh, around uh, uh, changes that may have to come uh, as things continue to evolve. Um, and it's also a great, uh, there's a wonderful archive that uh, shares a lot of the history of the National Ballet of Canada through photos and videos and, and, uh, and uh, text. Uh, and so it's just a, it's a really wonderful resource. If you're, if you are familiar with the company, it's a great place to go to sort of get a little bit of your ballet fix. And if you're new to the National Ballet of Canada, it's, it's really a wonderful resource to learn about who we are, where we've come from and, and where we intend to go and to connect to the, the work that we're doing uh, throughout COVID-19. So uh, national.ballet.ca. And, um, and we're grateful for, for anyone that tunes in to see what we're up to. Thank you so much, Barry, for taking the time to have a chat with me today. You speak so passionately about both dance and ballet, and I think your the set of values that you brought during this time is an absolute masterclass on how to handle a crisis, from taking care of your team to transparent communication with your stakeholders to creating contingencies and documenting absolutely everything. It's just a brilliant blueprint on how to handle a crisis. Well, thank thank you for that. We're all we're all doing as leaders. We're doing the best that we can and. And um, as I've said in all of the calls that I've had with my, my peers, uh, peer leaders here in Toronto and across Canada and around the world, um, it's a heavy burden to carry as a leader through a crisis like this. Um, but, um, but I think if we're grounded in core values um, and we take good care, um, you know, we'll see everyone through, through, uh, through the fire and onto the other side. So thank you for this time.